Waheguru ji ka khalsa Waheguru ji fate this is Jaskarn Singh Sandhu executive director with the World Sikh Organization bringing to you a bonus 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 ask Canadian Six the podcast episode the terror report minister Ralph Goodale public safety Canada by this point you probably have heard about all three things and how the Sikh community was labeled as a top 5 terrorist threat to Canada. The outrage, the outrage was immediate from the community. This month, the World Sikh Organization put a cross-country panel tour together featuring Dr. Jasjit Singh from the United Kingdom uh, from the University of Leeds. And we went around we went around the country, we went to Brampton, Edmonton, and Surrey, and we put on panels with local academics, local activists, uh Bulpreet Singh our our legal counsel and we discuss this issue in depth. For this week's bonus episode, we're going to present you Surrey's talk and how they explored the issue, the impact to the community and why would something like this even happen. So, after the jump is going to be a live recording of the Surrey discussion. This is a live recording of the event. So please don't mind uh, maybe some of the background noises and things like that. Uh, this was recorded at Surrey City Hall on Sunday, March 17th. Waheguru ji ka khalsa, Waheguru ji ki fateh. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay, so before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that the land we're gathered here today is the traditional and unceded territory of the Kwantlen, Katsi, Semiamu, Musqueam, and Tuasin First Nations. Two days ago, on March 15th, the world witnessed yet another tragic terrorist attack, this time at a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand which took the lives of 50 innocent victims and wounded dozens more we mourn with our muslim brothers and sisters so we before we begin our program today let's please join in a moment of silence to remember and pray for the victims and their families Thank you all for being taking the time out of your busy schedules to be here today for our Ask Canadian 6 panel discussion. Main tuhade saareyan da bahut dhanwaad karti ha ki tusi aaj is program vich shaamil hoye han. My name is Bhavjinder Kaur and I'm the senior vice president of the World Sikh Organization. For those of you who may be unfamiliar, The World Sikh Organization is a non-profit organization uh, with a mission of promoting and protecting the interests of Canadian Sikhs, as well as advocating for the protection of human rights for all, all individuals, irrespective of race, religion, gender, ethnicity, or socio-economic status. The past few weeks and months have been a busy time for the WSO. We were extremely fortunate to welcome the first Sikh refugees from Afghanistan into their new homes in Surrey last week. 
a once thriving population of over 200,000 Sikhs has dwindled to less than 2,000 over the past 20 years due to the dangerous living conditions for minority groups in rural regions of Afghanistan. So a number of these families have been brought here to Surrey through private sponsorships by members of our local community in partnership with Siri Guru Singh Sabha Gurdwara and the support of Manmeet Singh Polar Foundation. I hope that we can continue to work together to bring more families here so that they can escape the persecution and dangerous living conditions that they face in Afghanistan simply because they are Sikh or Hindu. Pichle hafte ten parivar Afghanistan chon ture sari vikhe ponche ate onde haftean vich hor parivar vi aunke e parivar ithe sadi community de memberan dware ate Sri Guru Singh Sabha Gurdwara de sahayata naal private sponsorship dware lyande gaye san main ummeed karde ha ki assi ithe hor parivaran nu leon le ikatthe mil ke kaam kar sakte ha tan jo hor I know many of us here today wish to make the world a better place for all. Today, we're here to discuss a very important topic that affects the world we live in as Canadian Sikhs. What obstacles do you see coming our way? I look to Quebec, and my goodness, our Quebecois brothers and sisters need our help. The current government in Quebec wishes to ban the Dastar, Kirpan, Hijab, Kippah for any employee in public service. We cannot afford to be silent on this issue. We must speak up and I urge all of you to take action in whatever capacity you have. I Another challenge we face as Canadian Sikhs is the narrative that has been pushed for years and years, but especially over the past year. At the last Ask Canadian Sikhs panel, we were facing the aftermath of Justin Trudeau's trip to India and the media debacle that followed. Less than a year later, and we're back here again. This time, the issue being our own government publishing Sikh Khalistani extremism as a terrorism threat to Canada. This is the 2018 report. So to discuss this topic further today, we have a very talented lineup of individuals um, joining us today uh, and to guide us on what steps we can take as individuals in addressing some of these challenges that we're facing. So I can I'll just introduce our panelists before we go any further. So um, from the, traveling from the UK, we have Dr. Jasjeet Singh, uh, who's a research fellow based at the University of Leeds. Uh, his research examines the role of religion in society with a particular focus on religious identity, policy, community representations, and processes of religious and cultural transmission among Sikhs and diaspora. Uh, so he's had a, a very great track record in publications, including peer-reviewed journals, 
and has edited a number of uh, different collections and is a member of a number of academic networks. And most recently, he's undertaken research on the idea, context, framing, and realities of Sikh radicalization in Britain. So we're very fortunate to have you here. Thank you so much for being Thanks, a part of our panel. Joining him. Joining him, we also have our very own local uh, Sharanjit Gorasandra, who is a PhD candidate uh, in the Department of History at UBC, and she's a coordinator at the South Asian Studies Institute located at the University of the Fraser Valley. She's also co-curator of exhibits at the Sikh Heritage Museum, and she's also a sessional faculty at the Department of History at UFV. And her interests are in looking at the effective experiences of early Sikh migrants in 20th century BC. She also has a great passion for activist work and engagement in the community through academia and museum exhibits. So please welcome Sharjit Gars. Uh, and we also have our very own uh, Balpreet Singh, who's uh, a legal counsel for the World Sikh Organization. Uh, he received his law degree from the University of Ottawa and uh, articled with a human rights law firm in Toronto uh, and has been legal counsel with the WSO since 2009. And his practice mainly focuses on human rights law and religious accommodation. And he's also helped resolve several key accommodation issues for Sikhs in Canada, including accommodation for wearing the Gurban in courthouses in Alberta, uh, Ontario and BC, as well as uh, via rail trains and Canadian embassies and courthouses internationally. And he also works with various public and private sector organizations to create resources and training uh, on religious accommodation issues. So we're very lucky to have you here too. Uh, and to moderate the discussion today, we have Parveen Kaur, who uh, has a bachelor's degree from the UBC Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences, and she's worked in a variety of leadership roles in her industry for the past 16 years, uh, including uh, advocating for the profession at the national level. She's also guest lectured at UBC uh, and served on a number of industry committees and working groups, and she's currently a board member for the College of Speech and Hearing Health Professionals of BC. And she's been volunteering with the World Sick Organization for a few years um, on a number of different initiatives, including the Sick Family Helpline, One Billion Rising, uh, Turban A at Parliament, Parliament Hill, and as a panelist at our Sick Youth Leadership Institute. Um, and with that, I will turn the mic over to Parveen to lead, start leading the discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pavjandar Kaur. Um, I'm very excited about today. I know that the topic isn't a light one. I know that the topic is something that, um, you know, we were talking about it. It's a nice little chat we're going to have on a Sunday afternoon, but I've been looking forward to, to talking to these fine individuals um, when I heard about the Ask Canadian Six panel that was happening here. So 
Before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. So as I mentioned earlier, this particular session is going to be live streamed on Facebook, so um, hence the camera. So if you have questions, uh, we don't have mics, but we do have is cue cards. So if you have a question, write it down on a cue card. Um, we have them in the back there, so we can have them distributed. Put your hand up if you have a question. They'll bring you a pencil and a cue card, and then they'll bring those to me. We want, don't want to disrupt the flow of our um, event today, but we do want to hear from you if you have questions. Also, if you are watching on the live stream and you do want to participate in, and um, send your question forward, feel free to tweet us at uh, worldtech.org, uh, World and um, someone will be monitoring that and also bring that question up as well. I'll try to incorporate these questions as best as I can into the conversation that we're having today. So with that, um, let's dive right in. So before we get too far into what happened, I know that there's a number of key government documents that were uh, floating around the last couple years, and I think that we all would do uh, well with having a bit of a level set from Balpreet Singh mm -hmm. on what are these documents. So a couple of them include the Canada-India Framework, the National Security and Intelligence Committee Report on the India Trip, and the 2018 Public Report on the Terrorism Threat to Canada. Can you tell us a little bit about these reports and how they fit into what we're doing in this room today? Okay. So context is absolutely essential. Um, so I'm going to talk about the context of how all this happened. Uh, I've got a printout here from 1985. And I think it's really important. Throughout my comments, I want you to focus on patterns. Patterns repeat themselves. Um, we as an organization have the benefit of having institutional memory so people that lived through the 80s and 90s and who are able to understand and guide us when we see the same patterns repeat themselves. So here's a headline. Sikh extremism on agenda as Clark visits India. So this is from December 4th, 1985. And the external affairs minister, Joe Clark, uh, he was on uh, a trip to India. And what does this article say? It says, India's concern about extremists in Canada's large Sikh community looms as the only only major sticking point as External Affairs Minister Joe Clark arrives in Delhi today for a five-day official visit. And then it goes on to say that Clark is expected to lobby on behalf of Canadian-led consortium seeking to build a 1,730-kilometer natural gas pipeline across India. So how is this issue framed? It's framed that India and Canada want to do business. And Canada can make this 1,700-kilometer pipeline across India. And what's the sticking point? It's that Sikh community and the extremists. So we saw that again when Prime Minister Trudeau visited India. It's that Canada wanted to do business with India's large economy. And what's the sticking point? Why can't uh, Trudeau get it done? Because those Sikhs. The Sikhs are causing a problem again, the extremists. And India is warning, you know, do something about the extremists and uh, is essentially humiliating uh, the Canadian team, uh, you know, sending the agricultural minister and essentially sending a message that we are punishing you and we won't get things done because you're soft on Sikh extremism. So these are patterns. One, making it uh, a trade-off. Either you do something about the economy or we're going to do something, uh, or you do something about the Sikh extremism or we're not going to let you do something about the economy. The other is media. We see media as uh, an objective third-party reporter. Maybe that's starting to change a little bit here, too. But in India, the media is not an objective third-party reporter. They are a tool of the state. So the media is a tool which is used by the state to frame issues 
and we see that repeat itself. Uh, the other is pressure. Ongoing uh, pressure on, ca on Canada, on Canadian interests, as well as ongoing pressure on the Sikh community. So always badgering, always being highly, it's, it's a high maintenance relationship with India. Uh, I think behind the scenes you'll have Canadian officials talk about that as well, that India is very high maintenance. They take offense very easily. Uh, so ongoing pressure and then pressure on Canadian Sikhs that if you talk about this, you're going on the blacklist. If you don't do this, we won't do that. It's, it's, it's pressure. Uh, as interference. So if you read un An Uncommon Road, which is uh, available for sale at the back, uh, it talks about Indian intelligence and their role in subverting the Sikh community, interfering in the Sikh community. That can't be understated that that didn't go anywhere. Indian interference is a fact. Uh, it exists in Canada today. Uh, a very simple uh, example would be just the Caribram Festival uh, in 2018. Uh, in 2017 in Brampton. So it's a cultural festival and there's going to be a Punjab pavilion and the organizers of the Punjab pavilion are told by the Indian consulate, you can't do this, you have to join with the Indian consulate. And they pressure the organizers. And when the organizers of the Punjab pavilion say, we've done all our printing, all our material is ready, we've done everything we need to, the consulate, and this is all published, this is all in the media, they're saying, well, we can pay you for your expenses. And what they mean by we can pay you for your expenses, we understand what that means. Uh, so interference, espionage, it's, it's, a it's a reality. And finally, persistence. This isn't a one-off issue. India has a problem with the Sikh community. What is that problem? This is a lecture in itself, but essentially it's that Sikhs still see themselves as a sovereign people who have a, a primary allegiance to Gurmat, to those Sikh principles, to Akal Takht. And that doesn't fit well with the Jayaparat, Hindustan, Jindabad, Partamata, Indian nationalist agenda. And if you don't fit in that, then you're anti-national. And if you're an anti-national, India has a record that if they want to essentially decimate anyone, they call them anti-national. And that's uh, the pattern in Kashmir, in Nagaland. Any resistance is met with a label of anti-national and you can do pretty much anything you want to them, and the Indian population will not question it. Human rights aside, that this is for the integrity of the nation. So that's uh, the context. I want to also say that this issue, I'm going to just set the stage before I open the discussion. I think it's important for, all, uh, for us all to be yep. on the same page. Yep. We have seen India talk about Sikh extremism persistently for over 30 years. So this is just a few printouts that I have. Elements in Canada keeping Sikh extremism alive, Prime Minister, 2010. So Prime Minister Harper and Manmohan Singh met and Manmohan Singh complains about elements in Canada keeping Sikh extremism alive. Here's another one. This is from 2012. Canada must root out Sikh militancy from its soil, Manmohan. And the sub subheading is close cooperation between two governments on the issue is vital. So 2012, uh, I, could, I could go through several other uh, articles, but this is persistently an issue. And the question is, what was happening in 2010, what was happening in 2012 to suggest there's Sikh extremism? Nothing, absolutely nothing. What threatens India is uh, the ascendance of Sikh influence in Canada. and. You know, are they going to be able to call out uh, India for its human rights record? Are they going to be able to draw light onto the Sikh genocide? And their reaction to a minority community ascending to power 
is fear and uh, retaliation. So, okay, that brings me to uh, the documents. The key document in this discussion is not actually the 2018 terror report. The key document that I, I wish all of us could read, uh, actually, in its entirety, is the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians' special report into the allegations associated with Prime Minister Trudeau's official visit to India in February 2018. We'll trust that you read that on our behalf. Thank you. <laughs> so that's just the title of it. So this was the Intelligence Committee's uh, report, and they've redacted the most interesting parts. So the part about Indian interference is completely redacted. But there's enough in this report to let us know how India got the report uh, to include Sikh extremism. It's right here. So, all right, I'm going to jump into the report. And like I said, most of us don't have the time to look at it, but that's my job. Um, so this says that recent Indian messaging on Sikh extremism. This section lists uh, several meetings, and it says, according to government officials, these issues were raised with great regularity in bilateral meetings at all levels. Uh, great regularity at all levels. The issue of Sikh extremism. And it lists out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine meetings and several other redacted uh, points where this issue was raised by India with Canada. All right. So this is just in 2017, mind you. It goes on to say that members of Canada's security and intelligence community took steps to address India's concerns about Sikh extremism prior to the Prime Minister's vis visit to India. So how did it do it? It lists out one, two, three, four separate delegations of RCMP and CSIS teams to India in the months of January and February for a total of 10 days of meetings with the National Security Advisor, Ajit Doval. This is 10 days of meetings in a period of about five or six weeks with RCMP and CSIS and Ajit Doval, who is the head of India's uh, National Security Agency. Ajit Doval, for those of you who don't know, is a former espionage agent. Um, he was actually active in Punjab and had infiltrated the Darbar Sahib prior to Black Thunder in 1988, and he provided key intelligence uh, to security agencies to make Black Thunder a success. So he is not a newbie to this file of so-called Sikh extremism. This is his bread and butter. He knows it very well. So these several trips occur. And what is the result of these ongoing meetings? The result is this framework for cooperation on countering terrorism and violent extremism. So this is released on February 23rd after Prime Minister Modi and Prime Minister Trudeau have their meeting. This document is released. And it says that the National Security Advisor of India, Doval, and the National Security and Intelligence Advisor of Canada, uh, they have signed on to this. And it lists Canada working to neutralize the threats emanating from Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Haqqani Network, lashkar e taiba Jaish-e-Muhammad, Babur Khalsa International, and the International Security Federation. So those last two, we all know they're banned organizations. But is there any equivalency in terms of activities, financing, organization between those last two organizations and ISIS? Is there any equivalency? There's absolutely none. And then it goes on to use a phrase that's very curious. It says, the framework is based on fundamental respect for the sovereignty, unity, and territorial integrity of India and Canada. This language to the Canadians seems like very neutral. 
to anyone who's familiar with India knows that this is right out of India's playbook. This is the language that Sikhs, when they're denied a visa, when they have to sign off in an affidavit for the, cons uh, for the consulate, they have to sign off saying that they respect the sovereignty, unity, and territorial integrity of India. We know where this language is coming from. So how is this reported? Once again, for Canada, this isn't a big deal. It, it didn't make the news in Canada. For India, headline news. India, Canada agreed to counter threats from Sikh extremist groups. This is all about Sikhs. The other from the Times of India. India, Canada to work against Sikh terror outfits and bracket J-E-M, Jashi Muhammad. This is all about Sikhs for India. Why? Because they see 17 Sikh MPs, they see four Sikh ministers. They had to do something. So they've gone full out on this. All right. We as an organization, we stood up and said this intelligence sharing uh, framework is wrong. That we don't give visas to India's intelligence community. We don't give visas to uh, members of the security forces. So we're going to share intelligence with them now? Doesn't make any sense. And we're going to take their intelligence, which is based on torture, which is completely a part of the way they do things there. And essentially Canada said, no, no, that's not what this is about. But what happened here is those 10 days of meetings, that turned into a, a framework. That turned into a, an actual table where they can regularly have exchanges. So these meetings aren't one-offs anymore. They have actually created a network between Canada and India to pass information on a regular basis. And that could actually put Sikhs at risk because in the 80s, if you read Uncommon Road, you actually had Sikh activists who had family members disappeared in India as a result of Canadian intelligence sharing. But anyways, Canada ignored that. As a direct result of this intelligence sharing and these ongoing interactions, we finally have the 2018 public safety report include this absolutely bizarre section on Sikh extremism that makes reference to 1985 uh, the Air India bombing, and nothing, nothing today. No other reference. Like even the Shia section, Shia Hezbollah section, it references financing, that there's financing happening. There's nothing referenced for the Sikh section. And so the Sikh community is rightly upset that what is going on here, uh, it's not been in the report prior to 2018. What happened? And what happened is right before us. Canada allowed India to feed information accepted that information uncritically, mm. took the pressure, essentially sold out the Sikh community to appease Indian interests. And that, my friends, is the context. Thank you, Balpreet Singh. That's a very detailed account of how we got here today. So in terms of that report, I'm going to ask each of you, how did you find out of it and about it? I think, Balpreet Singh, we know how you found out about it. Oh. But Shanjikar, how did you find out about it, number one? And how did you react when you heard about it? Um, so I found out about it, I believe it was in a media context or it was an email from the WSO because we often, I'm on the listserv, mm -hmm. um, which is phenomenal by the way. It's a great way for those who aren't necessarily volunteering in the organization just to keep up with Big what's going on. Big plug for the WSO newsletter. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, I think my initial reaction was, here we go again. Um, we are being dehumanized and that's really kind of the messaging that I'm wanting to relay again. When um, it was Balpreetji, sorry, Balpreet. Yeah. When Balpreetji was mentioning the patterns, those patterns have existed for a hundred years in Canada. If we look at it from a historical perspective, the patterns of dehumanization, the patterns of calling Hindu hordes because they didn't know we were Sikhs, 
um, the language of how Sikhs have been described in this country, the demonizing of the turban, the, the, the anti-Asian riots, um, the visceral kind of colonial, colonialist agenda has happened for a century in this country. And so it's important that we don't uh, trace it back absolutely from the 80s onwards, but it's actually been going on for a century. And so I think my question is, at what point do we rupture that pattern, right? Like, at what point do we say this has to stop? It's been going on for 100 plus years. And so um, I always like to put that line in my bio when I send it out anywhere, is that I do consider myself an activist in the words that I speak. And words have power. Words have power to push back against the power of the word, which is written down, um, which in itself is knowledge production and adding to a, a historical agenda in this country as well. And so part of that power of the word is to say that we are going to push back, we are going to speak for ourselves, but we're going to speak for ourselves in a setting like this. I was saying even strategizing where we choose to do these forums is important. Um, rather than doing it in a banquet hall or something, doing it in this space puts us in, quote, mainstream mainstream setting. I don't like to use the word like mainstream, but it puts us in a place that through osmosis, anybody walking through these spaces, anybody walking out and about will know something is taking place in this space. And maybe it's not for me, but they're going to hear something. And so we are not adjacent to the narrative of Canadian historical discourse. We are a part of this discourse. And we need to interject ourselves again and again and again in this discourse so that we can rupture that pattern of um, racism and dehumanizing. Absolutely. Thank you. And just you think. Yeah. So So how did you find out? You're in the UK, and um, I know that yeah. getting... And I'm not making this up, but it was WSO Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that, but, but, but it was. But it, it did take me by surprise because, as I've said previously, I think I might be slightly to blame for this whole thing because I wrote an article in 2017, which is... Sorry, 2018, which is publicly available online, called Is Sick Extremism Really Active in Canada? Question mark. And as part of that article, I wrote that the public... Report safety report 2017 didn't include Sikh extremism, but did include right-wing extremism and Islamist extremism. And I, I presume somebody read that and thought, okay, this we've obviously missed something out there. Let's kind of rectify that situation. Um, which You're keeping is yourself I, I, employed, are you? Huh? <laughs> you are. You're keeping yourself employed. In <laughs> well, no, but I was, I was absolutely because nope. where the, the exact question that's been asked, where, where has this actually come from? Right. So I, I'd obviously followed what what had been going on, but it is important to put it in a historical context of, and I think we assume that yeah, you know, everything's been normalised, but the colonial context is absolutely important, where people who wear outward symbols challenge the norm. People, they kind of challenge the norm. It, it means that people want to stick out. It means that they're labelled as fanatics and extremists in the, you know, in the, in the late 1800s, in the 1920s. That discourse is still carrying on. It was, it's seen as something that's, hang on a minute, why are these people actually choosing to stick out and not just, you know, be part of normal society? And and that and that thinking does continue. Mm -hmm. So, as someone who's not from Canada, why do you care about this? Um, in terms of why does it matter to you that this tiny little blurb was included in a report in Canada? What does that impact? What does that have an impact globally? Yes. So, um, the reason I did my project on, on Sikh radicalization was because I'd, I'd heard, all, I'd read all these headlines, and the way you know search engines work these days, it, they don't really care which media source the headline pops up from. And it's important to know, as, as has already been mentioned, that you know, India's media is 138th on the press freedom list as compared to um, UK's 40 and Canada's 14. So it, it, doesn't, it isn't con considered as, as a 
reliable media source, but it's still used as a, as a reliable media source in certain circumstances. So why is this important to me? Um, because it's there, isn't it? The, the internet's a time machine. Nothing ever vanishes completely, kids, just to, just to make sure you make sure you uh, watch what you tweet and post, but nothing ever vanishes completely. So the fact is that this, this language is there. And the reason I did my project was because I didn't see any, I didn't see the community with any kind of resource to respond to it. And, it, and that's, it, that's exactly why it's important, because the language is there. The, 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 it, it's history now that the term Sikh Khalistani extremism was included in the 2018 public report for safety in Canada. So to, for anybody who hasn't seen this report or actively taken part in, in, in researching this, um, I took a look at this report and what is it, 37 pages, a few pages are blank as per every report and it's about 32 pages long. And the section on Sikh extremism is one paragraph. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked through the rest of it trying to see if there was any more other references, nothing came up. So it's just one paragraph, guys, what's a big deal? So tell me. Why is this a big deal? Why are so many people here today and why are we in this room to talk about this? Because what can this, what's the impact on the community? So what can we expect the, the broader community to, to experience with this? And Sharanjit Kaur, from your perspective, what is the, the impact in your community and the individual? So going back to um, first your comment about it's just a paragraph. Mm -hmm. um, I said that I am fascinated with the production of knowledge and what that is, is a, is a corpus that is creating that, yes, it's a small paragraph, but it has been etched in time. Exactly. It is there forever. Much like a lot of the colonial language and um, uh, derogatizing of Sikhs over the past hundred centuries. I'm a historian, everybody take history courses. I'm gonna pump up history as much as I can, but it's really important yep. because it is that pattern. And so to minimize it is gonna actually, um, we, uh, we need to do the opposite. We need to maximize the fact that it has produced this knowledge base that will forever be there in the par parliamentary kind of that language of political discourse. It is there. And so how do we push back against it? Because it will forever be there as well. And from a community perspective, uh, a lot of the work that I do at the Heritage Gurdwara, at the Sikh Heritage Museum, I do tours of the Gurdwara space. And many um, Sikhs and non-Sikhs come into that space. And the way I do the tour is very strategic where we do the outside, we do the inside, we view the exhibit, and then we go upstairs into the Darbar Hall. And I sit everybody down, uh, cross-legged, we sit and it's a safe space. And I say, this is your chance to ask me anything you've ever wanted to ask anything. Like any, any, we live in a society of being fearful of asking questions, right? We want to be politically correct. I said, you can ask me anything you want. And it is in that space that I realize, wow, like th these sort of narratives still have impact and power mm -hmm. because I still get those questions. Some are very innocent questions, but I still get the questions about, what's with the blood drive campaign? Why don't you leave your troubles out in India? And I have to unpack that, but I have to be the person who doesn't get angry. And I really want to be angry because it hurts my heart to hear that. It viscerally jars, it's just so upsetting to hear that, but I have to step aside and say, I'm the tour guide, let me teach you. Let me teach you why the 1984 you know, blood donation drive, kind of the historical patterns of that. Um, I get questions about Sikhs and terrorism. I get questions about, uh, exist in the microcosms of communities as well, absolutely. So I had a conversation with someone and they were saying that, well, you know, if you put too much attention into these things, the words together, six and terrorism, then we are associating them and by virtue of that, that becomes part of our narrative. And 
by putting focus and having events like this and putting this out because you know it's on Facebook and we're on Twitter and it's not we're not having a private conversation about this. The more we talk about it, does it become part of our narrative? So, what are your thoughts on that attitude? So I, um, when I, because I was I was very public about my research and mm -hmm. I um, received some rather colourful feedback on. Uh, on social media about the fact that why was I researching Sikh radicalization? You're normalizing the term. We're not though. The term's, the term's in Indian, it's been in Indian media since the 1980s. The term has existed for, well, before that, but it's, as, as Bhupreet Singh's shown, it's, the, the, the language is there. We're, we're not, we would not choose to normalize the term, but it's kind of, it's, it exists already, doesn't it? Yep, yep. So, we know it's a problem. What are we doing about it, Albert Singh? What's been the reaction? I'm just going to go back to the last question, absolutely. if I can. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of why this hurts so much is because it was unexpected. Yeah. So 2015 was sick, the Sikh community at the peak. We have 17 MPs. We have four ministers. We finally made it. You know, that we've done it. And despite having done it, they, for the first time, managed to include us in the list of terrorist threats to Canada. Mm. We've, we've invested millions of dollars into uh, the political process, millions of dollars and millions of hours. And Canada knows better, or at least they should have known better. Uh, even this report, I'll go back to this report, the intelligence report, uh, paragraph 80, that says that, um, the committee finds the most compelling rationale presented by, by the NSIA, so this is the guy that was dealing with Doval, for his briefing to journalists was his desire to counter foreign interference in real time. Who's foreign interference? There's no other party involved, it's India. Uh, so then it goes on to say, the NSIA had been deeply invested in addressing Indian security concerns about Canada and the Canadian government in order to ensure the success of the Prime Minister's trip in February 2018. He was well aware of India's blank, blank, blank. The word is interference. I mean, it's, it's clear it's interference. The strategically released media articles prior to the Prime Minister's visit and Indian officials' repeated raising of concerns around Sikh extremism and separatism, even after multiple efforts by Canadian officials, including the NSIA, to refute those claims, fit the pattern that the NSIA now saw emerging. Colon an orchestrated attempt to shine a spotlight on Mr. Spotlight on Mr. Atwal's invitation in order to embarrass the Canadian government. How did they embarrass the Canadian government? By embarrassing the Sikh community. The government knew that this talk about Sikh extremism is an orchestrated foreign interference to embarrass the Sikh community and by default then uh, embarrass the Canadian government. And they still let it happen? That's the part that hurts. That's the, they know better. That's the part that hurts. Who's the they in that question? The, the, who's the they, do you think? The establishment, the government, um, <laughs> our MPs, our ministers, they all know what is happening. The community, we all know what is happening. But why isn't anyone calling this out? Why is this not a media story about, you know, Chinese interference is huge, it's, it's, it's headline news. It's in black and white here in a government report that Sikhs were embarrassed by the government of India through strategically placed media stories and all the rest, not anyone takes any notice. Have we really made it? I don't know. So in, in following that train of thought that you brought up, um, we'll go back to the original question, but 
We do talk a lot about the fact that, yes, you know, we did have sort of a watershed moment in 2015 when we saw so many representatives go to Ottawa. The impact of that, one would think, would be that we have fewer events like this, but in fact, we've seemed to, now it's a second year in a row we're having this, 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 this type of discussion. Um, what happened? Because, you know, as I recall, uh, Prime Minister Harper, when he went to mm. India in 2012, was it? 2012, November. 2012, yeah. He was asked a similar question and faced with questions on Sikh extremism. Mm. He responded with, and I quote, uh, the terrorism and violence shouldn't be confused with people's right in Canada to advocate a political position. It may be a political position that both the government of Canada and the government of India disagree with. We can't interfere with the right of political freedom of expression, end quote. So that was not this government, but a different one, but that was a response at some point previously. Why now are we not seeing this pushback from our government? I think that talking point was repeated by Prime Minister Trudeau to some extent. Okay. Um, but I think the approach has been different. So prior to 2012, uh, prior to any major uh, trip to India, the WSO prepares uh, a briefing document and uh, reaches out to meet with men ministers and members of government who are going on that delegation. And that's what happened in 2012. So in 2012, we met with ministers and uh, members of government who were going on this delegation, and we made it clear that there's no such thing as Sikh extremism. And if they call uh, for you to crack down on Sikh extremism, then ask them, what do you mean? And they're going to point towards advocacy, and advocacy is not extremism. So we had that conversation. So in 2018, we prepared a brief. We requested a meeting, meetings with several ministers and MPs. Unfortunately, nothing uh, happened. So we sent the brief and we got a couple of acknowledgements. Yes, we'll pass it forward. But it didn't seem like they were interested. And maybe they felt that, you know, we've got 17 guys here and uh, four ministers, and if there's any briefing that needs to happen, these guys will let us know what's going to happen. That's not what happened, right? Um, and I think we as a community have to understand that third-party advocacy is essential. But the government seemed to think that just having those guys there was, uh, was enough. And I think one commentator described it as these guys were there to play checkers and the Indians were ready to play Chinese chess, right? These guys weren't ready for what hit them. But as a community and as an organization, certainly, we knew what was about to happen. But it didn't, uh, it didn't register for the government. And by the time they figured it out, it was way too late. So unfortunately, our outreach has been, in fact, limited by the presence, uh, unfortunately, the, the, so many MPs, it's, it's reduced, perhaps, our community's able, ability to influence the government. So I guess going back a few years, I'd, I'd say probably in, in the early 80s and 90s, the goal was to have representation in terms of us being at the table. We th I think the goal was that once we're there, perhaps we can influence these types of things. We can get there and have a voice at the table. Now that we have a lot of voices, it sounds like it's not being heard. Is it, do you think it's a challenge of the fact that we are, as a community, we are just one constituent of these individuals who now are elected to, to speak? Or is there sort of a fear? Um, any, and Jasjit Singh, you also um, in, in the UK have now two members of parliament, yes. uh, six. 
How are you finding that? Is are they do? Is it similar to what we're experiencing here now? I, I mean, they are, they are. You know, credit to them that they are they are raising sick issues when they can. Absolutely. Right. I mean, they, they haven't. We haven't got the numbers, and obviously the demographics are very different in terms of the way the sick community is spread. So it's not as kind of as as intense. But that they are certainly they're certainly raising issues that wouldn't be raised. I I'd suggest. Otherwise, possibly, although historically um, MPs with reasonably large sick populations in their constituencies have done so, so you know, I have to kind of analyze how many more issues have been raised, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Um, for my part, I think MPs can make a big difference. Um, but let me give you a few examples. The Armenian genocide. So I had a question. How can the Sikh genocide be recognized? You know, what's the process for it? And the answer is political will. So Sarkas Asudarian, Asudarian, I'm sure I'm butchering his name, Armenian MP, um, Liberal Party, he takes the Armenian genocide issue and he pushes it through. It's recognized by parliament. Um, there's one Tamil MP, Gary Anansagri. Every year, Prime Minister Trudeau issues a, issues a memorial statement for Black July, where the Tamil community was attacked by Sri Lankan government. Every year, without fail. Um, when Prime Minister Trudeau visits Argentina, he visits the uh, memorial to the folks killed by the uh, government. And the CTV headline on this is, Trudeau's emotional visit to Argentine memorial renews focus on human rights. And how did this happen? Pablo Rodriguez now Minister of Heritage, MP. He tells uh, Trudeau, you gotta go there. And the headline, imagine if this was, imagine if this was, uh, let me just change the words. Trudeau's emotional visit to Sikh Memorial renews focus on human rights. The Sikh community would have been standing up and standing ovation. Mm. Our, our brief actually said, go and visit the Rakab Ganj Memorial. Mm. No take up. Forget visiting a memorial. 2014, Prime Minister Trudeau issues a statement commemorating 1984, has a small event uh, on Parliament Hill. Since he becomes Prime Minister, not one statement. Not one. Despite reminders, despite a press release this November by WSO calling him out, calling him out on it. Hmm. So MPs can make a difference. Um, why haven't they made a difference? I don't know. I can, I can look at patterns. So the Indian government uh, does follow a certain pattern, uh, maybe not just the Indian government, but when Navdeep Bans was in his first term, um, Prime Minister Harper gets up holding a newspaper article uh, and is about to accuse him of links to extremism, and he is booed by the uh, Liberal caucus and sits down. And the next day Navdeep gets to ask the first question, you know, will you apologize? But as a, as a, as a first-term backbench MP, I can imagine the trauma of being put at the center of uh, such a thing. Jigmeet becomes leader of the NDP. The first day on the job, what's he asked? What are your thoughts on Air India and extremism? Harjit Sajjan becomes Minister of Defense. What's the framing? His father is a member of an organization that supports uh, Sikh sovereignty in uh, Khalistan. Right off the bat, people that are seen as rising stars in the Sikh political community are put on the back foot, made to feel afraid. Does that have something to do with it? Maybe. Can I just yes, say something absolutely. as well about um, 
when you and I were talking on the phone yesterday, you had asked me this question about, you know, 2015 was a watershed moment. And mm. my response was, I think it also put us in a complacency role or like a comfortable space. We're, we're comfortable now. This We've made it. And it's ne it, what this has reminded me is that we can never be in that space. We And not to be negative, but it's important that we we constantly constantly be vigilant and alert to the narrative that will continue to perpetuate, uh, linking those two words, Sikhi or Sikh and terrorism together, mm -hmm. and how can we work as a community to un to divide that, to unpack that. But I also think we have to think beyond just politics. Of course, politics is involved so much because we are, the documents we're looking at today, but um, culturally speaking, organizations have, many different organizations play a role in, in uh, museums, for example, says the museum advocate, um, uh, city halls, libraries, like there are other organizations that we can look to that can answer these very questions and, and um, create a counter narrative to these questions as well. And once again, communities begin to see that and see that, that these conversations are important. I think a lot of people do um, get tired of seeing politics and politicians at play, and so they become uh, um, void of, of engaging with that narrative. So other organizations, and we all have so many uh, capacities in the roles we play to be the bearers of those um, new knowledge, whatever role we're in. Yeah, so one of the questions from the audience really fits into that. So how can we empower our community to influence the production of such knowledge? It's directed to, you, to, to actually to Sharanjit, but I'm going to let both of you guys you respond. I just want to say Sikh Research Council of some kind. Or, mm. So when I'm um, applying for funding, uh, my, some of my colleagues in religious studies have, have research councils they can apply for that relate to specific mm. religious traditions. We don't have any of that, so I'm kind of competing with everyone else. Right. Uh, and obviously, if I include radicalization in a, in, a, in a research funding topic, it's likely to get funded, especially if it's about brand bodies. But um, but I shouldn't have to. There are there, we, we we really could benefit. So we've been talking recently, for instance, about you know our institutions, our gurdwaras. We could research them and their futures and their past, how have they been established? Our constitutions fit for purpose, for instance. There's a whole host of things we could research. But it, it takes kind of resource and funding for that. And I think that's somewhere where mm -hmm. we, we could invest going forward. Shantikar? I think children are really important. And I think how we are raising our children and our nieces and our nephews and our cousins um, is really important. I say that as a mother of a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. I'm feeling like we need to get a resurgence of identity and historical knowledge placed in our children. Like I feel like a lot of kids are... Um, not knowing their Sikh history. They're not knowing their, their Sikhness and their identity. And so when these questions come up, they don't have a rebuttal to what's happening. They don't have a rebuttal to why is Sikhi and terrorism being connected to each other a wrong thing? Because they may get questioned by that, by somebody else who's not Sikh. And if we don't have an answer to those questions, just as young people, uh, that's a problem as well. So, you know, knowledge making and production mm. needs to happen in our school spaces, in our university spaces, where these conversations can take place. We need to decolonize our curriculums, for goodness sakes, and stop teaching stuff that has been per perpetuated through whiteness. Yep. Like, we have to teach Absolutely. stuff by Sikh people. We have to show the museum mm -hmm. as a mandatory part of a field trip, for example, in Abbotsford, right? Like, yep. we have to work to create new sets of knowledges that will naturally just displace the narratives that have already existed. So our community is very giving. We know that. Um, it's obviously a part of the Sikhi. We have focused a lot of attention in the past, in the last few years, I would suggest, in, in um, putting, I think, a lot of our resources and, and lots of money goes into uh, campaigns, uh, political campaigns. So how much money goes into to research? 
and education. And is it for a lack of knowledge, do you think, for the community to know that this is another piece that's very effective in dealing with issues such as this? Um, because, or have we been dealing with these issues um, in saying that the, the political solution is the magic bullet? And so, go ahead. Well, so given, I mean, you know, using this, this as an example, so this, was, this, this came out in, in November 2017. Um, What's that? It's, Tell sorry, us about yeah, it. it's it's the it's the report for my project on on, on seat radicalization, um, and in writing that, I'm not saying that this is the answer to everything, and I'm absolutely correct in everything I've written. But what I'm doing is I'm saying here's a foundation, uh, and if you have a a, a if you d agree or disagree with it, that's fine. But show me the ev evidence that you do so. And I think at the point at the point at the moment at the moment we don't have a foundation to say this is what we think the situation is. If you've got a counter narrative, show us the evidence, you know, to counter that. So that's where this kind of helps. And when I've gone to policymakers and presented my findings, you know, in, in, in in depth discussions, they can ask 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 any any difficult questions they want. Mm -hmm. So no, I, I don't think I don't think but I, I don't blame the community for that in a way, because the community has kind of been a victim of a lot of anthropological style research where people go in and ask lots of questions and come out again, write articles and books and never engage with the community at all. I think it needs to be a, it needs to be a collaborative process. So I'm really into this kind of community collaborative based research. Find out the questions that the community wants answering rather than the questions that you, you think are important to an academic discipline and actually to try and tackle those. So just a little bit about how I went about this. Um, I wrote a draft of the report in about, I'd finished that by about May 2018, and then I spent a good four or five months holding a series of community consultation events where I presented my findings to the community all around the UK, Yorkshire, Midlands, London, everywhere. Um, open forum discussions, not recorded, open and honest conversations, challenge me on whatever you want. And that was really helpful because then by the time I actually published the report, the community felt they'd had some sort of you know, means of addressing it. And I think this kind of event is really, really helpful because it breaks the, you know, we're the expert. I'm not an expert at all. There's more expertise sat on the floor out there. But it's a case of getting that expertise and articulating it in a way that, you know, policymakers and the like can understand what it actually means. Absolutely. We also need to, going back to kids, we need to teach them that there are more fields for them open beyond um, doctors, engineering. I know we've, we've, lawyers, we've moved beyond that a little bit, but, you know, look at policy making which is so incredibly impactful. Looking at, um, um, oh, I was gonna say something in my head and I'm drawing a blank now, but other positions in the community that bolster, oh, media. We need more uh, Sikh people in the media. Mm -hmm. We need them in positions as producers and, and, and how do you get that pathway um, so that they can start advocating for different narratives and, and teach our children that these are options beyond just the typical. No, I'm not saying every, we do that but anymore as much, but it's still there. You know, what, teacher banjo, doctor banjo. That's because it's banjo. good for the marriage advert, isn't it? That's, that, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's <what laughs> yeah. But let's, let's broaden our horizons and say, you know, theater. I'm looking at beneath, mm. right? Like there's so many more other um, avenues for us to change the way we are um, defined. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you brought up the media. Um, there's, there's been a lot of messaging coming through. And so... Part of your research, Jessie Singh, has been about how the media uh, is, is part of hmm. establishing this narrative. Hmm. In addition, what do you think, what's your th thoughts on, every, this is a question for everyone, what are your thoughts on how the Canadian media has played a role in this, um, where we are today? So, 
I've, I've kind of got a ve- just about got to grips with which papers are on which wing of the political spectrum. Um, had a bit of a to and fro with Candice Malcolm on, on, on Twitter in particular around, You're so again, it completely, it completely um, highlights the lack of knowledge in media and the, and the willingness of media to use concepts from different religious traditions to, to frame, frame, literally frame Sikhi. Um, so Candice Malcolm wrote an article in, I think it was May last year, where she said something like, um, Islam and Sikh notions of martyrdom which promise paradise. I'm like, what, who, when? What, 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 you know, so um, I, I, referred, I referred it to my report. I said that the C concept of martyrdom is about in life resistance. It's not about a, you know, a, a, so, so anything to do with paradise. And I think then the, I think WSO actually and CPA took that on board and, and they, they changed the article. So from what I've seen, and it's true, of, it's true of UK media as well. So in the UK, every April, um, all the newspapers will say Vasaki is a Sikh New Year. And, and we've challenged that. And they say, well, it says it on the BBC website. So obviously, the BBC is the kind of the gunny of you know well, knowledge. BBC of course, you can't. So. <laughs> yeah, the BBC has this archive website from 2003, which was written by somebody, which says Vasaki's a seat. So the, 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 exactly, the production of knowledge is something that we really need to tackle because it has such an impact, not just on media, but the fact that policymakers use this media then to make policy means that it kind of impacts on a number of different areas. Yeah. Chanchikar, did you want to chime in on this one? I wonder one? if Balpreet wants to say anything. Absolutely. I don't want to like Absolutely. I think that Balpreet Singh has a lot to say. So I'm going to turn back to him because I have a few questions for you to follow up. But I'd let you address the media okay. question. So there's two types of media. One is media that you'll never win. And the other is media that's just looking for shortcuts. So media that you'll never win, I'll just name it. It's Terry Malowski. It's uh, Douglas Todd. You could do a blood drive and they will you know, find a way to smear that as well, and that has happened. Um, so that's, that's media that you can never win with. Then you have media that's looking for shortcuts, that they're looking for, uh, through the Rolodex, looking for you know, dial a quote, and uh, Ujil Dasanj is right there, so he's your sick quote. So we as WSO, we started the Ask Canadian Six hashtag campaign, and then we started what was uh, a campaign to meet with editorial boards uh, across Canada. So we went with the National Post, Ottawa Citizen, Vancouver Sun, uh, CBC Calgary, others. Um, so the point of that was to offer the media an opportunity to engage with people outside of their network to create new networks, saying that if you want to meet uh, with a sick voice, it doesn't have to be WSO, but we can introduce you to many others besides Ujjal Dessange. Um, and that has worked to some extent. Uh, Douglas Todd, I think a month ago, maybe a little bit more, he wrote an article for the Vancouver Sun about Kabaddi players disappearing in Canada. And he threw together a salad of words like Punjabi, India, uh, Sikh, uh, all about Kabaddi. And we wrote in saying that the use of the word Sikh in an article about Kabaddi is absolutely unacceptable. He was saying the Sikh community uh, applauded and celebrated the uh, creation of a Kabaddi stadium in Surrey. And I said, would it make sense for you to write that the Christian community celebrated the, uh, the establishment of an NHL arena? Because lots of Christians are NHL fans, but that doesn't mean they're fans because they're Christian, right? And to their credit, they actually took that down. So that's, that's my part about the media, but the other part comes to us, right? What are we able to do? Um, and my answer to that is to be unafraid and to stop apologizing. Uh, we do so much good work. Mm. 
if anyone looks at us and knows at the knows the work we're doing, they will welcome six. Like I saw the comments underneath the article about the Afghan arrivals. Someone wrote, "We Canada needs more six. And wherever there's a crisis, whether that's Christchurch, whether that's Kashmir, the Sikh community is front and center doing seva. The world needs more Sikhs, and the world, whenever they see us, they understand that. But we are stuck in this backfoot mentality. We're always on the defensive, you know, and part of that is actually internalized colonia colonialization. We're always afraid, trying to justify ourselves. Um, and we have to stop apologizing. If we see Khalistan Zindabad on a wall, we have to stop, uh, you know, getting nervous about that. Khalistan is not a dirty word. Being a supporter of Khalistan, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Be able to explain it, be able to justify it. There was an insurgency in Punjab after 1984. Tens of thousands of young Sikhs were killed. Some took up arms, many took up arms. We can't uh, you know, expunge that from our history. We have to understand it and we have to be able to explain it. Nelson Mandela took up arms at the Canadian Human Rights Museum it actually says that he fought for freedom. We have to stop being afraid of our history and we have to stop apologizing. That's my opinion. Yeah, just uh, a little thing on media. So you're absolutely right. Once media have very short time scales, once they get your phone number, you kind of, they'll ring you back again. Or like, that's my experience anyway. And just, uh, there's one in, uh, instance where I received a phone call from a producer on BBC Radio 2 asking for a mother and daughter um, sick kind of couple to come on and talk about women in Sikhi. And because um, oh, I'm a bit of a supplier now to, to the BBC of, of Sikhs. And, um, You're their go-to guy. <laughs> well, but, you know no, but all the Sikhs apparently. What was interesting was that when I, when I asked prospective couples whether they'd want to go on, a number of people refused because they, they didn't want the pressure, they felt pressure, they didn't, they wanted, didn't want to make sure they didn't say anything wrong. So they were kind of, it's what you come back, it's come back to don't be afraid. They were like, I don't want to go on there because I might say something wrong and therefore somebody might, you know, harass me on whatever, on social media or something. So we, yeah, give ourselves a bit more kind of space but, and, and don't be afraid, but we, we, we need the representation. Just adding on to that, I think the conversation between media and having go-to people is very fascinating because through my work at the Institute, we often get called on to speak about things. And for example, and what I found is, media often does manipulate those. So even mm. if somebody comes with a, a Sikh comes with a yeah. good message or, or trying to relay a very specific narrative, two words will be taken that will completely debunk the entire message. And, and you know, that's the way media machinations work, however that is. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really important that, like for example, I was called on to talk about the gang violence in Abbotsford. Luckily, I talked from a very personal perspective. So it's really important that when we do speak, we empower ourselves. Yeah. Going back to what Bo Preet is saying, not have an apologetic narrative, have a very strong narrative, have an assertive narrative and say, this is our identity. Yeah. It is a powerful Id identity and it is um, something that we own and we're not gonna apologize yeah. for. So it's important we go in with that frame when we are called on to be in front of media. Yeah. And you know, diversify media, have women in front of media too, not just men constantly being in front of media. Because women add, add, women add an entirely different element of humanism once again, that I think they often go to the same men again and yep. again as well. Yep, it's true. <laughs> I feel you have a lot of support on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree with you that we do take a lot of um, 
personal stress when it comes to talking about this. Like, for instance, myself, just talking today, being here, I knew the ramifications of saying something wrong. <laughs> I know that this is a very, um, this is a heavy topic, and it weighed on me to, to be a part of this, but it's better to be a part of it um, than to yeah. let perhaps someone who may not have put the effort in to be a part of it as well. So I, I understand that, and I think that we all need to take that into consideration. So I want to get back to a few of the pragmatic um, approaches that we're taking following this report, and we can go back and to have a bit more discussion. So Balpreet Singh, what happened following this report? Um, and what, what were you part of the the, the writing of this report, where you approached, um, is there a way to inform on the, in, uh, from a community perspective into such a report? Because um, the foreword of the report includes Mr. Gurdil, uh talking about transparency, and I know that's a big buzzword for this government. So were you able to participate and then have some follow-ups? No. So the government did not consult with us. There is a national roundtable on uh, national security roundtable, and there used to be a Sikh member, Suki Bhatt, uh, who is a local here. Mm -hmm. He is no longer on this roundtable. There's no Sikh who is a part of this roundtable. Uh, so there's no Sikh input on national security issues. Uh, so they had no uh, reach, uh, didn't try to reach out to us at all. Uh, so the aftermath of that report was actually very interesting. It was the Sikh community, once again, regardless of political affiliation, uh, getting up and saying, this is wrong. And I think our MPs, uh, the Sikh MPs, they recognized the community's reaction and some came out stronger than others. Uh, but I think all of them, uh, pretty much almost all of them, uh, did say something to express their discomfort with the report. Whether it was words matter or deeper than that, which is the section makes no sense. Mm. Um, so uh, there was a request to meet with Minister Goodale. Uh, the request was made by BC Gurdwaras and the two Ontario Gurdwara uh, federations. This was the first time you had uh, such a unanimous and united uh, front of Gurdwaras across the board. Uh, that meeting uh, was delayed and there was a lot of drama behind it that I think we can speak about maybe later, maybe even today. But uh, it finally took place on January 21st. That meeting took place and uh, it's not a secret, I was a part of that meeting. I was able to articulate my points. I was able to explain my position and uh, indicate that as far as it seems, this inclusion of Sikh extremism is a result of Indian interference. And the minister, uh, we left him with a request. It was that if you accept that this report is flawed and it's under review, then you have a duty to take it down from your website. You can put it back up once you've reviewed it. And he said, I'll take it under advisement. It's now been almost two months, and there's no action on this issue whatsoever. Um, so we as a community have been very patient. Three months, a quarter of a year, uh, in which our community is now on the record a terrorist threat to Canada in 2018, and we let the government take its time, and I don't think there has been good faith on the part of the government. That report hasn't changed one bit. So. Where does, that, where does that bring us? Um, like, I'm not trying to say don't engage with politics. I think politics is very, very important. And I still think our community needs to engage in the political process. Not at all trying to diminish that. 
I do think that we need to be independent of that as well. We need to have third-party advocacy like the WSO, like other organizations. We need to call our MPs to accountability. We need to ask them. Um, Vasaki is coming up. So the conservatives, I don't have... I don't have much good to say about their role in this either. I mean, in the aftermath of the India trip, they pulled a very cheap move of trying to put a motion on supporting the integrity of India and condemning Sikh extremism. What, what, what Sikh extremism? You know, why don't you condemn Christian extremism? Why don't you condemn Taoist extremism? It doesn't exist, like, unless you can show it to us. And then the community overnight essentially shook their world and they took it back. The NDP, lackluster. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. So, uh, I mean, I think we as a community need to ask all our politicians, what are you doing about this? And Vasaki is coming up, great opportunity, because they all come to our community to speak from our stages. Maybe we should ask them, before you speak from our stage, will you be able to address this? And if you don't, if you just want to, you know, say your silly fate and talk about all the good work uh, the Canadian Six are doing, maybe that's not enough anymore. Maybe you need to address this. Yeah. So coming up, and I, I like that Balpreet Singh never minces his words. <laughs> <laughs> so coming up, we have um, the election this year. What is the, what are we, what are we expecting out of that? In terms of what can our community be expecting from our our elected officials? In are they going to be lobbying us or are we lobbying them? What does that look like? What's that relationship look like? And how can we influence it further, in your opinion? And what's the role? I've had a few questions. What is the role of a Gurdwara in this? Because we have, we've got, um, you know, we, we do have places where people congregate. So that's a great place for anybody who's looking to garner votes to, to come to. So what is the role of the Gurdwara in all of this? So anyone want to jump in? This is for everybody. I can always jump in. I'm always happy to jump in. Jump in. Uh, so the Gurdwari play a critical role. Um, they are where the politicians engage with the community. I mean, what's the most that WSO is going to do? Uh, we will issue a press release and we will say the government has failed us. A very harshly worded press release. Harshly worded. Uh, but at the end of the day, our ability to affect change is uh, very much uh, premised on the ability of our Gurdwari to also put pressure. So our Gordoare have to, once again, stop uncritically giving sarope. They have to stop uh, uncritically uh, offering stage time and saying, you know, talk to us about anything you want. No, ask the questions and force the answers. And we have a right. Uh, this isn't a small matter. Uh, 50 years down the road, uh, my grandchildren or great-grandchildren or whatever will look at this report and they will say, so Canadian Six were a terror threat in 2018 when there were 17 MPs and four ministers. It was an interesting time. Uh, and there's no answer. So uh, this government has, uh, has an honest duty based on its own knowledge to fix this mistake. And if they don't fix the mistake, uh, what are the repercussions? And it's not for me to di dictate the repercussions, but there have to be repercussions. We have to decide that as a community. So, from what I've seen, normally, um, when politicians are invited to Gurdwaras, they, they, they enter the Darbar, um, they do, the, as you say, the Sili Fateh, they say a few words, and then they leave. If, instead, the event was held in the Lunger Hall, for instance, with a, you know, a Sangat who could ask them questions on a stage, uh, or if they could stand at the front and they, they had to spend at least a good half an hour addressing the questions of the Sangat, rather than saying what they wanted to say and leaving, 
that might make them think twice about coming for starters, but at least it would uh, you know, allow people to raise concerns. And I think as a whole, we need to start uh, holding our policymakers and public officials to more account anyway. So yes, Gurdwaras do, of course, have a, a, a huge role, but that is, a, that is an incredible question and a, an incredibly large question, I feel, to unpack because who are the management committees of the most Gurdwaras in BC? Not all. There is a shift. Um, and why are they there? So why are not younger people taking up um, powerful roles in our Gurdwara spaces and taking ownership and saying we are the Sangat, we are going to take ownership of the space and therefore we are going to question what is happening in this space. So I really think um, part of our soul searching, our identity searching, our historical Sikh identity searching as young people needs to bolster a change in the way Gurdwara's function and how they function. Like why in Abbotsford, for example, my, once again, my boys go to the Gurmat Center in the Kalgidar Gurdwara. It's this amazing place where they harness um, seva clubs and youth empowerment and youth mentorship. They go out to the communities and clean up. And I'm a, such, a, such an advocate for their way they run. They're all run by women. And all the women are doing the admin work. And it's like this, I wish that was mimicked in different spaces because it teaches women that this space is for us beyond just making rotiyam. Like we have to, we have to change the management. And we, I think I've, this has been said. I'm not saying something that's so radical. It's been said so many times. But before we can change how politicians function in a space, we have to question the management committee of that space and how how agendas are made in that space and how money is utilized in that space as well. So it's a very big question, and I'm not really giving an answer. I'm sorry. But, but following on from that, so when, uh, when I mapped um, all the instances in British media which involved terms like. Sikh extremism or Sikh violence. Um, by far, and it's in the report, by far the busiest map was of Gudrara issues. Gudrara related issues, Gudrara related violence, we've seen it on YouTube, it exists. And I think the community may have thought that, you know, we can get away with this, we can do, we can do this fighting in a Darbar, we can do this fighting wherever, no one really takes notice. If it's reported in media, it's, it makes a difference. So I was, at, I was at LSE last month doing a talk about Sikhi. Um, to an international audience, uh, Canadians in the, in the audience, and asked me the question, why are Sikhs violent? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, I have the perception that Sikhs are violent based on what I read in the media. And I think we've thought that, you know, good or issues are just ours, but they're not. The police, so, I'm not, so um, I run a module at, at Leeds University where we send our students out to places of worship to do that we send them out to places of worship to do research on a place of worship. One year, the police said the only institution where we've had issues relating to violence is, this, is, is the Sikh temple, as they call it, which was slightly embarrassing for me. But Absolutely. that's something we need, to, we need to deal with. We can't get away with it anymore. And if this makes the community reflect on that mm -hmm. alone, I think it, it, it will uh, serve the purpose. And I still get questioned, what is with the tables and chairs issue? This <laughs> happened when I was like a six-year-old kid, right? In 1993, I think it happened. I, this is the power of that attachment of violence Absolutely. and Sikhs and, yep. and Gurdwara spaces yep. and media. Yep. I still get asked that question, hands down when I do a tour. What is with the tables and chairs issue? How have we not moved beyond the tables and chairs issue? It's, it's sickening, right? But there's a reason why. And well, it's such a waste of resource and time. Yeah. Sorry, it really yeah. annoys me. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many more things that six do that bring such goodwill that we'd yes. like to be focused on. And I suppose that comes back to our relationship with the media yeah. and, and bringing that back, circling back to 
how do we make sure our good news stories capture as much attention as those from the early 90s, for instance, continue to, to circle around? And I would suggest, and this is a personal comment, I know that you know we do talk about having um, a shift in, in Gorda's spaces. I think it also is a personal responsibility from us as well yes, as yes. a younger generation, because uh, having known the ins and outs of how much work it takes, oh, yeah, are we yeah, all yeah, committed yeah, to yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's also something that each of us has to take on as well as a personal commitment, because it's not something that you can just volunteer on a Sunday. True. These, True. these institutions take every single day, and I see some very generous souls sitting here, so I don't want to uh, diminish their, their work no. on so that, but also right. we yes. also have to take yeah. that responsibility. Yes. But it's impo also important, because you've, you've asked about good, good, good media stories versus bad media stories. It's also important to see this in the kind of post 9-11 war on terror context where you know, brown bodies are securitized and the media are, in are interested or more interested, they're more interested now in Gurdwara issues than they would have been in the 1980s. Because now they, it's like, okay, what, is, what are these people doing? What are these religious, you know, others actually up to? And it's important for us to, as a community, community to understand that our actions are amplified in the current context. Absolutely. So, Balpreet Singh, coming back to you. Um, what are our next steps? Because you said that you've waited for three months, a quarter, and what, what are your next steps in terms of getting back to the government? Is, is there a path forward? So we followed up twice with the government. Sorry, before I, we, I let you go on, what was the intended um, outcome? What is the optimal outcome in this? So for us, that section has to be removed. Uh, just taking out the word sick is not enough. Um, that section in itself is unacceptable because it is baseless. It says that Sikh extremism is still a concern because there was the 1985 uh, bombing and two key Sikh organizations continue to be banned. I mean, of all the organizations, those are the two key ones you found? Uh, the language itself is wrong, the content is wrong, it's Sorry, baseless. Sorry, the two, two key ones are? International Sikh Youth Federation of Babur Khalsa. So it says those two key Sikh organizations right. continue to be banned. And are, is there a resurgence in those that we've noticed? Um, because if I'm doing the math correctly, the people who started these are probably senior citizens right now. So is there a renewed in, investment in, in these? that they're noticing, or did they share that with you? Like, why would you list these two organizations? It's certainly, uh, they're banned. They're okay. banned organizations and banned since the early 2000s. Right. Uh, is there a resurgence? Uh, India regularly creates these media frenzies about arrested Khalistan militants. I'll give you an example. Gursevak Singh Babla. This man was arrested this week by the Delhi police. Uh, that he's wanted in 60 cases, has links with uh, Khalistan uh, outfits in Pakistan, and he's paraded in front of the media, so he's surrounded by police. Do you know when the last time he was arrested? July. Same headline, July 2018. Gursevik Singh Babla, Khalistan operative arrested. When he was arrested before that? 2012. Same, same headline, Gursevik Singh Babla, Khalistan operative arrested. The man has spent 26 years of his life in jail. And every, and it's the same police force. That he was caught at the ITBT, the, it's, it's the bus terminal in Delhi. He's caught at the ITBT every single time? <laughs> like, is that, you should stop like the Delhi police catches him and every single time it's at the ITBT. Wow. And the story, it, it, it serves their purpose. It shows that Sikh extremism is still very active. I mean, the terrorist training camp in Mission BC, where, where, where's the Mission BC terrorist camp? 
but that's that's something and uh, that's that's been fed to the Canadian intelligence uh, there was an accusation that uh, a sick woman working with ISIS is launching a terror attack in Delhi mm. uh, this is you can search this you can google it yep. ISIS sick woman Delhi you'll find it these are baseless stories they have no uh, they have no sense but anyways this is how they carry things on um, steps forward once again, it comes down to what, as a community, are we willing to do? So we took uh, a back seat and let the government have its, take its time. Um, it's had enough time now, and I think we as a community need to bring this issue up again. When we see our politicians, we need to ask them, so what's happening with the terror report? What are you doing? Um, and uh, before Vasaki, if they want to celebrate Vasaki on the Hill, good for them, but you maligned our community. There's nothing for us to celebrate with you. Um, that's, that's my opinion anyways. So I, I don't want everyone leaving here with sort of a, a heavy heart in terms of we ha we're in despair. I want there to be some things that our community can do. So um, following last year's India trip, I know that there were some actions taken by the community. Um, there were the Twitter campaigns, there were letter writing com campaigns. Um, people s called, as you said, um, after the Conservatives introduced, tried to introduce that motion. Individuals uh, galvanized within the community to call their MPs and it was taken back. So in your opinion, what can the community do? How, how do we as individuals take this to and help fix the problem? How, what do we do? So letter writing campaigns, number one. I know that you can that you, we do that um, to limited success. Is that the, what? Are, what are some key steps that we can all take? Letter writing. We, like I said, we spent millions of dollars on these nominations. The people that we sent there, we have personal relationships with them. Ask them. Um, and once again, for the Gurdwari, we have to have a big, uh, we have to watch the Nagarkirtans, and this is gonna be a big issue, that uh, are we gonna give them the safe out? So are we gonna let them go to the Gurdwari that don't, uh, that have sanitized themselves, that they don't have the word Khalistan anywhere, and that they won't talk about this issue, and uh, they can go to a Nagarkirtan where there will be no one saying Khalistan, Zindabad. Uh, will we allow them to do that? Or will we say that someone saying Khalistan Zindabad is a citizen of Canada and there's nothing wrong with that? I mean, if you can go to the St. John Baptiste Day celebrations every single year, which are essentially nationalist, Quebec national celebrations, you know, if you see a couple guys with Khalistan flags or hundreds of people with Khalistan flags, it doesn't matter, in the crowd, will that be enough to deter you? And if it deters you, why? I mean, we're the ones that are voting you in. Are you working for us? Are you going to be working for the Indian government? That's, that's my question. Uh, so letter writing campaigns, persistent pressure on our side. If the Indians can put persistent pr pressure, then we as a community have to put persistent pressure. And uh, this is something I actually wanted to talk about as well. We underestimate the amount of time and money India invests on this issue. When I'm in Ottawa, uh, and I'm not there that often, I'm not there as often as I should be to be honest, but I always see members of the consulate there. And they have a right to be there, that's fine. But they're there. I went to this meeting, I told the story before, uh, it was a meeting with the, with the police, it was with the local police force, it was about religious accommodation. So I'm there to talk about how the police force retreated the star and the karpan. There's another man there with a star and I go to see, he say, Gurdwari to aayo? Nahi, man, concert to I was like, oh, okay. So we sit down the round table and I tell my, tell my part that the star is sacred, the karpan is sacred, and it's his turn. So I'm waiting to see what he says, and he says, 
the Indian flag is a religious item for us as Indians. And when we see the Indian flag trampled underfoot or burnt, it is a violation of our religious sentiments and we expect the police to take action on this. And I'm just like, this is a local meeting. What, what are you guys doing here? They are relentless when it's pushing their issues. And we as a community need to be relentless. And if we can't do it as individuals, then you know we have WSO here and uh, we are an advocacy organization. But to be honest, if we spend millions on these nominations, we don't even spend thousands on uh, organizations like the WSO. And why is that? Um, I'll be honest, we are a bare bones organization. We have two employees, two. Um, and there's about 500 to six, about 600,000 six in Canada. And we have two advocates. And I think we've done a pretty good job. Uh, we have a great board of directors and volunteers. Uh, but imagine if there was a fully funded Sikh advocacy organization on the level of CJA, for example. And those guys are based in Ottawa. Who they is CJA? The Center of, uh, for Israel and Jewish Affairs. They are based in, Israel, in Ottawa. They're lobbying every single day. They are doing an amazing job, and their community supports them. Um, why can't the Sikh community have something similar? So is there anyone else other than you speaking on behalf of the Sikh community at this level? I think, uh, All right, no. because well, the reason why I ask, is there a fragmentation that we're, are we suffering from that? Because some communities suffer from that. I suspect that um, in the UK, I think we, we mentioned as that. In, we, have an, we as an organization have been very, very <laughs> fortunate. I'm not saying this as an ego issue. I am uh, very thankful for the support uh, I as an individual and I think uh, we as an organization have received from the community. It's been, um, overwhelming and especially for this public safety report issue uh, it has been a lot of support and a lot of love from the community for the work that we've done I would just like to see that translate into actual um, actual support in terms of this month that would be great great okay two things everyone in the room can do um, number one and I'm not just saying this but I am uh, support the WSO in producing resources for policymakers because if you do that, you put the ball back in their court. You say, this is the stuff we've got. If you've got evidence in response to that, please respond. To so do that, let's do that. Support the so producing resources. Secondly, please use sicky terms all the time. Unapologetically, we stop, need to stop translating for people because we lose what we are. Sikhi is a verb, not a noun. Sikhi is not Sikhism. As you might have noticed, I don't use Sikhism until I've just used it now, but I don't use it otherwise. Even, even when I'm at university, I talk about Sikhi. I just use Sikhi apologetically, uh, unapologetically. If somebody asks me what it is, I can explain that it's a verb. It's, uh, it's living through, exi it's existing, it's learning through existence. It's not, so, it's not a belief system. And in the same way, a Gurdwara is not a temple. Uh, you know, a, a Granthi is not a priest. Edu it's a small way of educating, but we need to stop apologizing and trying to frame things in the language of other traditions because it doesn't do us and it doesn't do us any favors. It, it, and we've and I understand why people did it when they first got here. And the same story in the UK as well. In the 60s, you had to kind of explain, but the problem is nothing's been updated. So when I look at the RE textbooks, for example, it still uses all this language, which we lose so much. It really irritates me. And you know, Gurdwara. Guru is in Gurdwara. Guru is the center of Sikhi. Temple means, it doesn't mean that at all. So, and it's something everyone in this room can do. Everyone in this room can use Sikhi terms unapologetically from now on. Thank you, Jashi Singh. Sorry. That's it. <laughs>
Don't apologize. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I loved your comment about not wanting to leave the space with a heavy heart. And I think that's really important. Um, so I, if I can give one piece of advice, when I attend residential day school workshops, I have a heavy heart. And I want to leave with an action item, something to do. And my question to you would be, who are the people that are missing in this space and need to be a part of this conversation, need to learn, right? We need to raise their awareness and knowledge, perhaps. Perhaps your one thing that you will do is when you leave this space, you tell somebody about this experience. You tell somebody about the speakers. You tell somebody about the one thing that was the most impactful thing that you learned. Because words entering a space actually have power. I know I'm talking in very hoity-toity, flowery terms, but they really do. When you talk to people who normally would never come, Maggie, I'm not going to come on a Sunday, waste my Sunday afternoon, talk about, you know, Sikhi terrorism. You talk to those people and say, did you know this is happening? Just tell them. And they will then spread the message and then advocacy will work. And the other thing is for us to take ownership of the word of activism. I feel like we all fear that word. Why do we fear activist work? Why do we fear calling ourselves activists? I think activism is beautiful. I think it's trumping our assumptions, even like radicalism. Let's redefine radicalism so that it's not owned by, you know, the nationhood. Mm. Um, so I think those two things are really important. Tell somebody about this day what you learned who would normally never attend this event and redefine activism in your own headspace, in your work areas, in your workspaces. What does that mean to you? And what are you going to do pushing this forward? Because it's viscerally affecting us as Sikhs. And we need to take ownership of that narrative. Excellent. So oddly enough, this morning, um, I don't know if anyone follows on Netflix. There's a show by a gentleman called Hassan Minaj. He's a, he's a Muslim American, and he's a comedian. He has a show of his own. And if anyone watches, it's called The Patriot Act. And if you think Balpreet Singh has been sort of going off with conspiracy theories about the interference of the government of India, please feel free to watch today's episode. He was uploaded today. It's on the Indian elections. And this gentleman, um, it's, it's a comedy, but it's based on uh, current events. And just the preamble to this would give you some great insights to what um, Balpreet Singh is saying. What happened was it, he's talking to his elders. Um, I'm not going to give away the whole show, but he's talking to his elders. And um, he's saying, hey, I'm going to discuss uh, the Indian elections. I can only assume they're his parents or his aunts and uncles. And they're like, no, don't talk about that. You can talk about anything else. You can talk about China, which he has already done. You can talk about Saudi Arabia, but do not talk about India and the election. Don't talk about Modi because you'll be labeled a Pakistani spy. And this is a gentleman who is born, oh, I don't know where he's born, but he's a, he's a very famous American. Mm -hmm. So it's not just us. So we are not the only groups that have been, have, have this. It was made comedic, but at the same time, it, it just shows you how it's infiltrated into the psyche of all minorities in India. So I just wanted to add that as a bit of context. Now, we are uh, nearing the end of our time, so I'm going to ask you, there's, there's been so much discussion going on, and there's been lots of great questions which I've tried to incorporate, but I want to ask you for some final thoughts, each of you, in terms of is there anything that you'd like to share with a group um, that you feel needs to be brought up in this space, because we, are, we have a very valuable piece of time right now, and these, all these wonderful individuals came out to hear you speak. So is there anything that you, I'll start with Sharanji Gaur, uh, would like to share? I think I ended, I thought that was my conclusion. I was like, hey, no, it's going to be good, activism. And so, yeah. I mean, I just want to re-emphasize that. And please do reach out to me. I'm so honored that I was invited to this panel. And the only reason I got involved was um, because of the mentorship program that the WSO started, which I am so excited about. And I signed up to be a 
a mentee or mentor. <laughs> um, and so I'm very excited about being more involved with the WSO and I'm very honored to be in the space amongst everybody here. That's all. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, lo absolutely likewise. I'm, I'm extremely honored to be invited. And as I say, I'm, I'm not an expert in anything. It's all, it's all a collaborative process, isn't it? But the, the, the thing about being a member of a, of a minority is that it automatically means you have more responsibility. Every single member of a minor minority has more responsibility on their heads. That's all I'm going to say. That's it. Before I let you off the hook, do you want to talk? Do you want to just show your report? Oh yeah, so this is, um, this is it's available online. Free, okay. The, everyone's favorite word. It's freely, freely, <laughs> freely downloadable PDF. If you just Google um, Crest Sick and my name, just Jeet Singh, you can download it. Uh, I'm on Twitter. If you want, to, anyone's got any questions, but be nice. Okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Singh. Two points. One, know your power. Um, you are in an election year. You are coming up to uh, the biggest Sikh celebration in which they want to be involved. Know your power. You, uh, as a community, were able to stop the conservative motion in its tracks in one night. If you want to make the government change this report, you can do it. And it doesn't take more than phone calls and emails. Um, and you could do it in a day, two days. And it's all about political will. They can change this thing whenever they want. Like someone asked me, does it have to be brought to a vote in parliament? No. The public safety minister has to just say, I want this revised, and it gets revised. Uh, right now, they're playing uh, the political balancing act of, we've already offended the six. If we change it, we offend the, Indi uh, the Indians. Uh, maybe we just take the damage. So you can change things if you want. Well, that's one. Second, if you see the WSO's work, whether it's the mentorship program, whether it's the Sikh Youth Leadership Institute, whether it's a work on the Afghanistan file or articles of faith in the Qurban uh, or on forums like this, then you have a duty to support it. We have a duty to support third party advocacy. Uh, just being in the parties is not enough. If you like the work, if you think it's valuable, then support it. And I understand there's uh, a table at the back where donations can be given. Please do donate because it's with your diswan and it's with your support. When we dry out from financial support, uh, it makes us feel pretty stupid that we're doing it for the community and the community just doesn't care. And I'll be honest, that, that does feel that way sometimes. Um, it's, it's not thankless work because like I said, we do get a lot of appreciation, but if you value it, then support it. Thank you, Valpreet Singh. So before I, take it, I turn it back to Babjinder Kaur, um, I also want to thank all of the panelists um, for their great discussion. Um, I do also want to point out that something that Valpreet Singh brought up is the fact that um, this is a volunteer-run organization. Everything you see here today um, is, is because of volunteers. Everyone you see is volunteering their time. Everyone has their own jobs. They're, they have school. They, they're involved in many different things, and they've taken the time and to support this. So um, if you have feedback, please raise it with the volunteers that you see here. But please be kind, because as I said, they're volunteers. And constructive criticism is always welcome, but be kind with it. And as Gulpi Singh has said, that um, your donations go quite far in this organization, I've realized, um, just a little bit every time you come out and see us. Or you can donate on our website if you'd like to take a look. And of course, follow up on, um, on the newsletter. If you haven't received this fantastic newsletter, which comes out regularly now, uh, feel free to leave your email address and it'll start coming to you. Follow us on Twitter, uh, very active on Twitter and all the other social media 
forums. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out was, uh, you know, people are the reason why these things are put together. Jindakar herself is one of those people. I wanted to highlight that it's been a really busy week for her. For her. Um, she was on site to, to be there um, 7 o'clock in the morning to welcome the Afghan six. I know this isn't a single-handed move, but she was also there last Saturday for the mentorship event, and she's also here today to uh, speak in front of you. So she has children. I only know a very small aspect of her life, but she's doing an amazing amazing job here. So it's volunteers like that um, that are making this possible. So I just wanted to highlight that. And before, wherever she is. Thank you once again for listening to this bonus episode of Ask Canadian Six, the podcast. Our regular scheduling is to drop a new episode in the first week of every month. However, we will be doing bonus episodes here and there when we have interesting conversations that we want to share with you, like this Surrey panel. Or if an urgent item arises in the community that requires immediate, deep conversation. In the meantime, we look forward to sharing with you new content in the first week of April. You can also now find our podcast on some outlets, such as Spotify, SoundCloud, and Anchor, We are in the works of getting our episodes and content on Apple iTunes and Google Podcast. That's still a work in progress. And we will share those updates with you once we're in a position to do so. In the meantime, continue to follow us on social media at WorldSickOrg on every single social media outlet, essentially. Until next time, Vaheguru Ji Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji Fateh.